very, very warm hello to all our listeners. You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria, a program that nourishes you in your Catholic faith. Today we have, as we usually have on this day of the week at this time, Derek Williams. Hello, Derek. Good afternoon, Tim. It's nice to be with you. We haven't been together for quite a while. That's true. And I have no idea what you're going to be talking about today, so I'm very eager to hear what we're talking about. I have a feeling you're either ending a series or beginning one. Ah, it's a bit like Christmas morning, right? You run down and you got the packet presents under the tree and you've no idea what to stay if you haven't done your Christmas list. And you haven't been party to this Christmas list, have you, Tim? Um, so last week I did the last teaching in the series called The Fear of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been in a very intensive dialogue with Radio Maria, family, Will, Will family. We haven't really. Um, and um, I said, I'd love to do a series on Mary. And so they said, well, we don't seem to have much teaching on Mary for Radio Maria. So Same. I said, great. So as from this week, I'm going to be starting um, a series of teachings on the Blessed Virgin Mary. And today we're going to be looking at Mary and the New Eve. Um, so I'm going to be going from the book of Genesis and Luke's gospel and just see how far I get. I've got no rush. I want to um, enjoy this journey. There's, I've got a beautiful um, book called Mary and the Fathers of the Church by a man called Luigi Gambero, which is a very English name, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Italian, undoubtedly. Um, uh, I think he's a Marianist priest. And so I'm going to be using that as one of my resources. So we can show the listeners how our understanding of Mary is not just a modern thing. It goes all the way back to the foundations of the church. And in fact, to the foundations of sacred scripture itself. So that will be today's today's first one, bit of an introduction, Mary and the Mary and the New Eve. We may have to break it up into a couple of sessions because as I was meditating upon it, I thought there's a lot of teaching here, Tim. And as you know, I like to make it personal and pertinent to the listeners. I don't just like to give a theological teaching. I like to actually what does it mean for us? What does this mean for us as as Catholics, as Christians, and even as non-Christians? Yeah. Well, that sounds wonderful. Um, and I think it's great that we have a um, series focusing on Our Lady in this particular light, because that the way of, of that whole way of seeing her as the new Eve is really fascinating. Um, would you begin with a prayer for us, Derek? And I'll, I'll choose some music, some Marian themed music. Uh, of course for, I will. And, and I'd like to begin this, this, this series as well with... Interestingly, our Father, because we're in a year of prayer, and in one of the documents I read on the year of prayer, um, the Pope spoke about the Our Father being the particular prayer for this year. So I'd like to begin with the Our Father, and then maybe the Hail Mary at the start of this teaching. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, 
and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Blessed Mother, I ask you that as we journey together um, with the beautiful listeners of Radio Maria, uh, that you will teach us, guide us, and reveal to us things about yourself that we perhaps didn't know, or help us to dig more into the rich treasures of who you are from the writings of sacred scripture, the saints, the popes, so that we can be nourished and grow in relationship so that you, you're not just a, it's things about me and not just a devotion, but you become a, a mother to us in, in a very special way as we make this journey together. Amen. So listeners, um, I've got my Bible open in front of me. It's on uh, Genesis chapter 2. You're probably extremely familiar with the passages that I'm going to read out. Um, but it's it's so important to read, reread, and reread the Word of God. Just as it's important that, you know, um, 24 hours ago, you had um, a, a meal... Let's, for argument's sake, let's just say Friday night we had fish and chips. Next week we're going to have fish and chips. The week after we're going to have fish and chips. Um, it's my favourite Friday meal, which I don't have all the time, but you, you're eating the same meal regularly to nourish the body. The Word of God is nourishment for the soul. You need to eat, eat, eat in order to nourish the soul and to cultivate a peace within the soul that only the Word of God can bring. And that's the living word of God as well. Now, I'm looking at Genesis 2. I'm not going to read out the whole narrative. Uh, verse 18 says, It's not good that the man, the Lord God said, It is not good the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs closed up its place with flesh, and the rib which the Lord God has taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. So note that Adam is the one who's naming. Adam is the one who is giving purpose and identity and meaning to the person who God has placed with him. And he did that to all the cattle, to all the animals. The man had this authority to name and thus to grant purpose and identity to all of the creatures, including the woman. Just so you know, the Hebrew for the man is um, Ish, and the Hebrew for the woman is Isha, which is different to the other word. The other word for um, the man is Adam and the other one for Eve, which hasn't been named yet. Very important, this. The Hebrew for um, mother, which hasn't been granted yet, is Hava, which we translate as Eve. Now, that will come much uh, in, another ch in another chapter or so. We have to go through a test first. And the test comes in Genesis 3. Now, the Eve, or the woman, I should say, keep, keep, remember, keep, it's the woman. 
The woman is at the heart of what happens next. She has on one side, she has the serpent. And on the other side, she has the man, Adam. So the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, so he, he's approached her. And if I was to move to the New Testament, I'm going to move between new and old, because I want to compare narratives, and I want to hopefully teach you a little bit about what's happening in respect of the new Eve and the first Eve. Luke 1, 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now, not the distinction, right? The angel Gabriel is sent from God, whereas in Genesis 3, verse 1, the serpent was more subtle than any other creature the Lord God had made, and he has sent to the woman. So he approaches her without any, as it were, authority. He's not sent from God, whereas the angel Gabriel is sent from God. And he sent in verse 27 to a virgin betrothed to a man. So there's a man on the scene, just as in Genesis 3, there's a man on the scene. Um, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, it's Luke is giving us Joseph, not just an ordinary man, but a man with power and authority. He's descended from the line of King David, the greatest king of Israel, the Messianic king yeah and you so you can see once again the connection i just spoke to you a few minutes ago about adam naming the animals and he has the power and authority so the power and authority rests with the man in our world now when a person has power and authority it's often connected with corruption and it's often connected with sin and evil very few exercise power and authority for a holy purpose. If we look at the kings and queens down through the centuries, um, several kings and queens, for example, of France, I think one, one other King Louise consecrated France to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And if we look at, say, King Stephen of Hungary, he's a saint. Uh, if we look at uh, St. Margaret of Scotland, she was married to the King of Scotland, saints. So we have occasional saints who had the power and the authority. But for the most of the time, that power and authority uh, has a certain corruption on the individual. Here, we have Joseph of the house of David betrothed to um, a virgin. Very important. She hasn't been named. Betrothed to a virgin. And that power and authority comes upon a very humble, a beautiful, silent, holy soul, one of the holiest saints in the history of the church. Um, and we can contrast that once again with the narrative here where the serpent approaches the woman and she starts to talk to him and tempt her. So she starts to talk to her and tempt her. If we just read this narrative for the very first time, it, it would just be between a woman and the serpent. But when you get further down the narrative, her husband was with her. So he's watching her being tempted and tried the whole time and does not intervene. Now, there's a certain parallel there once again with the Annunciation 
because once Joseph hears that Mary is pregnant, his intervention is to think about a divorce. But an angel visits him in a dream and changes, and he, he has it revealed to him that this is from God and that it's his responsibility to take care of Mary and Jesus. So his intervention becomes positive then, where he takes them under his wing, he protects them. He becomes the holy protector of the mother and the child. And in fact, for those of you who have ever done the consecration to St. Joseph by Father Thomas Galloway, I think it's Father Thomas Galloway, or Father Joseph Galloway, duh, how could I get that one wrong? Um, he talks about Joseph being the saviour of the saviour, because among other things, when he takes him to Egypt, he actually saves a child. An incredible title, right? So we now flick back to the first Eve, and we look at the conversation that takes place between the woman, contrasted with the conversation with the new Eve, the, the new woman. Now, don't forget, at this point, she has not got the name Eve. At, the, at this point, it, it just refers to her as the woman. And I'm not going to jump ahead too far, but we will cover that because when we look at the wedding feast of Cana in a few weeks' time, Jesus addresses his mother as woman. Once again, drawing parallels between Genesis and um, and and his and his mother. So the woman said to the serpent. So she engages in conversation with the serpent. So the serpent. Oh, by the way, look at the sentence of the serpent. It's very important. This the first ever recorded words of Satan in the Bible. Okay, did God say? <laughs> Those are the very first recorded words of Satan in the Bible. Did God say? So he is questioning what God has said straight away. This is how he can actually work in our lives. If we are growing in faith, growing in holiness, he can sow doubts by causing, by quest, by causing an internal questioning of our faith um, to try to turn us away from the path of faith. So he says to Eve, to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Which clearly God did not say that. God said to Adam, you can eat of any of the trees of the garden, but the tree of the life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you cannot eat. The woman said to the serpent, so she's entered into a dialogue with the serpent, which in the commentary on this, Pope Francis said, never enter into a dialogue with the serpent. <laughs> okay, never. Um, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Which is not what God said. So Eve, well, the woman, has got the message wrong. And it enables the serpent to deceive her. The message that God gave was, you shall not eat of that fruit. Eve says, we cannot touch it or eat it lest we die. And it might seem like we're, we're being picky over the word of God. But when you look at Catholic doctrines on sacred scripture and to do with the life of faith, the church is incredibly precise in its theological language. Um, and it's learned, it, it's had to be down through the centuries because many times 
heresies have come into the church, which are a very subtle distortion of the truth. It's a bit like this conversation between Eve and the serpent. A heresy is often a counterfeit. It's a deceit. There is truth in every heresy. There's always a certain truth, like there is in what Satan says here. When the serpent, for example, in verse 4, when the serpent says to the woman, you shall not die, he's actually correct. If she touches the tree, if she touches the fruit, she can play ball with it. She can throw it to her husband. She can turn it into a stew. She can do all that. She will not die. She only dies when she eats it. So the serpent has got it right to that degree. And therefore, he can manipulate the woman. And this is what manipulation can be like. It's part truth. There's always an element of truth in there. Okay? God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So once again, the serpent is now lying because they are already the gods of this world with a small g. And then the temptation is, as it were, almost complete because... Now the woman sees the tree is good for food, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's sad because she had access to the tree of life where she could really live forever. Um, and that's the real tree you want to eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's the tree that we are drawn to eat from. We want to have knowledge. You know, the old phrase is knowledge is power. And therefore, when person has knowledge, they have power. This is what leads to lies, gossip, and slander. We have knowledge of something. We have knowledge of somebody. I know something you don't know. See, this is where knowledge is power. But actually, the real power is in the person who is fully alive, even if they do not have much knowledge. They are fully alive in Christ. There's the real power, because there is a soul in union with God. And that's the tree that, that the woman and the man had free access to. So the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes, and it was to be desired to make one wise. So there's three things there which are all connected with sin. Okay, And, you know, sin, sin is attractive. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have to battle against it. It's alluring, right? She gave some to her husband, and he ate. And then it says, and the eyes of them both were open. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Fig leaves are very um, useful in the spring and the summer, but not very useful in the autumn and winter. They don't call it the fall for no reason. Um, so, sorry, that's just my quip. Something <laughs> that in there. Now, that is the woman and the first conversation with the serpent. I'm now going to flip over my Bible to Luke chapter 1 and take a look at the conversation, a little bit of conversation between Mary and the angel. Because the fall began with a woman, and in fact this, the fathers say a virgin talking to the serpent, a fallen angel, a virgin talking to a fallen angel. The redemption begins with a virgin talking to a good angel. So you can see that the, redemp the, fall, the, the redemption is healing the wound caused by the fall. 
Otherwise, Jesus could have just come as a mature man and put himself on the cross and saved us that way. But he doesn't. He comes in a way which is appropriate to what is needed. Um, and the um, the narrative that Luke uses is he doesn't name Mary for quite a while. Once again, he says a virgin, just like the woman in the in, in Genesis. She is a virgin. This woman is betrothed to a man named Joseph. The woman is married to the man. Um, he's of the house of David. Uh, Adam has all authority and all power on earth at the time. The virgin's name was Mary. The woman's name will become Eve, Hava. It hasn't been named until after the fall. Okay? The angel comes to her and says, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Now, I want to take a look at this phrase, hail full of grace. But before I do, I always take a little pause at this point and hand back over to Tim so we can have a bill of worship just to break up the teaching. Okay, Tim? Sure. Uh, let's listen to a song about Mary. Well, actually, this one is about Mary by Mary. And... Um, it is called Great Things, and it's sung by Melanie Penn. Um, and of course, it's based on the Magnificat. Magnify him on my soul. Glory be to God Yeah. 
Melanie Penn singing great things. You're listening to Radio Maria. And Derek Williams has just begun a new series with us on Our Lady. Today is about Mary and the new Eve. Derek, over to you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. So I just paused at the angel coming to Mary and saying, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. And Mary is troubled at the saying. If you look at other angelic appearances or even visitations from God, um, for example, with the burning bush, the words are Moses, Moses. When God speaks to Abraham, calls him by his name, when the, the, the liturgy at the minute, we began, I think, uh, a few days ago, where Samuel is asleep and God calls him Samuel, Samuel. And you hear that call three times. So Samuel's name is used six times, at least six times. But with Mary, the angel never calls her Mary. He gives her a unique name. In my Bible, there's a footnote, and it gives the Greek word, which is one word. So this word is all one word, keikaritomeni. Keikaritomeni. Okay? It's a Greek word. At the heart of it is the word carry, which is the Greek for grace, charis. Um, so we, so it translated. So the word is translated as full of grace, but actually. The word is untranslatable to a degree. But this is what the angel is calling Mary. He's saying, Hail, or Kyrie, ke karitomeni. So the Mary's troubled because the angel hasn't used her name. He's given her a title, um, which is different to what she was expecting. Now, we, we actually, it's funny, isn't it? Because when we say the Hail Mary, we say Hail Mary. <laughs> but that is not the angelic greeting, which is interesting, right? The angelic greeting is hail or chaire ke carry so many. What does that mean? It means you who have always been full of grace, you are full of grace, you will always be full of grace. In other words, it's a past, present, continuous. <clears throat> and it's, it's, to, my, to my knowledge, what my study of it, it doesn't appear anywhere else in Greek literature. I've had two, two um, discussions on this. One was when I was um, doing some research for a conference a few months ago. And in that research that I did, they said it, it doesn't appear elsewhere. It's a word that Luke himself has introduced just for his gospel. So it's only for his gospel that he's used it. But when I was doing my degree course at Maryvale, on the, one of the beautiful tutors there, one of the very incredibly intelligent tutors, they said it's used in one of the places in Greek literature where it's used to describe the highest ecstasy of the Greek gods in their Greek heaven. And it's basically Luke saying that Mary shares fully in the divine life. Okay. Which is touching on Adam and Eve before the fall how they share, how they participate in the divine life, because they have no sin. Now, this, this, this is, for us, probably a strange thing to get our head around. But we have to remember, before the fall, before Adam and Eve committed that first sin, they were both in a state of sanctifying grace. They both shared 
God's life. They were both filled, filled with the breath of God. God breathed into the man the breath of life, and man became a living being, fully alive, fully alive before the fall. So there is Adam before the fall um, has the same, he's, he's, he's in that complete state, he's in that state of grace, full of grace, just like Mary is here in this narrative. The difference, of course, is Adam turns away from God. Mary, as a young girl, is wholeheartedly listening to the message of God, fully cooperating with God, perfectly cooperating and in communion with God, um, and um, listening to what the angel is saying. So just bear that in mind. The, the angel gives Mary this beautiful title. She's, she's a virgin. She's Mary. She's key character many. Those few titles that Luke gives her in that narrative. If you flick back to Genesis, we can see Adam giving names and titles. First of all, he names all the creatures, then he names the woman, the woman. That's what he calls her. Now we have here the angel giving Mary, as it were, a new name to go with a new mission. Mary is greatly troubled at the greeting and wonders what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel says, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. In contrast to poor Adam and Eve, who were already in God's favor and lost it because they preferred to hear the serpent rather than the message of God. God's message was so simple. Don't eat that fruit. I nearly said the word dude, but I don't think God would have used that word somehow. You found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Now, once again, we conflict back to Adam and Eve, and the very first thing that happens after the fall in Genesis 4.1, Eve conceives a child. The very first thing that happens after the fall, after they've left Eden, that she conceives. And that's when she gets her new she gets her new name at that point. Mary here is about to have a new name. What's his name going to be? She says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means she's now going to be mother. So she's virgin, Mary, key character many, and now she becomes mother. And the church fathers were very clear on this, and the early church councils, I think, um, Chalcedon and Ephesus, um, talking about Mary as mother, said that she became a mother while remaining a virgin. And that's a very, very important part of Catholic doctrine. And sadly, in some parts of the Christian world, this is not accepted. But it's been, it's been teaching now in the church consistently for nearly 2,000 years. Um, the Church Fathers, in fact, all the saints and Church Fathers, unanimous on this theological fact um, that Mary was virgin and mother. And in fact, it's somewhat crazy that anybody would um, become a Christian, study the Word of God without reference to the early church fathers and what they have to teach. And here I'll give a little, this is something I'll maybe pick on some, I'll pick on this just for a minute or two. 
because people often talk to me about scripture study. Um, my daughter studied Shakespeare a few years ago as part of her homeschooling. Now, she didn't just pick up Shakespeare and start reading him and start saying, oh, yes, I know what he means here, and I know what he means there, and I know what this is about and what's done about. She actually started looking at videos on Shakespeare, and she started reading books written by experts on Shakespeare. One book, I think, was called Shadowlands, which looks at the Catholicism of Shakespeare. And boy, some of the things she picked up was amazing, all about how Shakespeare was a Catholic, and through his writings, he's sort of talking about the Catholic faith, but also he's talking about the attacks on the faith through various monarchs and stuff because the Reformation has just happened. And it was just sensational. Now, she had mentoring to study Shakespeare. So few people think that they need a mentor to study the Word of God. <laughs> people think they can just pick up the Bible, read it, and understand it and then what happens is they start reading it and they think hold on a minute this doesn't seem to co this seems to contradict what we believe as catholics i tell you the amount of times i hear that from people who've been reading the bible this seems to contradict this part of catholic teaching it's worth noting two things about the word of god in this respect number one the catholic church gave us the bible it wasn't the other way around that it wasn't bible first then church it was church first then bible so the church gives us the Bible. The Bible belongs to the church. It is the church's book. And therefore, it's only within the context of the church that the Bible should be interpreted. We should interpret it in the context of Catholic teaching. And that's how we understand it. So to say, to look at it and say, hold on, this contradicts what the church teaches is a bit crazy because we teach the Bible, and our teaching is founded upon and rooted in the Word of God. So it'd be crazy to suggest that our teaching contradicts what the Bible is talking about. Um, how did I get onto this particular topic anyway? Well, I was talking about Mary conceiving in her womb. So she's mother. She's fully mother, okay? That's verse 31. She doesn't say, you're going to be an instrument and give birth to this son Jesus, which is what some people say. It says, you will conceive in your womb. So Mary's ovum is going to be used to bring forth a male, which is a miracle, because a female ovum only has the female chromosomes. But it's going to bring forth a man. And you shall call his name Yeshua, the Hebrew variant. Okay, Yeshua, you might also know the name as Joshua. So Joshua is a Greek, is a, is a, Hebrew variant, uh, an anglicized Hebrew variant of, of Yeshua. Yeshua is the name of Jesus in the original language. Jesus is the Greek version of Yeshua. Did you get all that? <laughs> I hope so. Okay. Listen, what I'll do is I'll see if Tim's got another song for us, and I'll see if I can pause so you can process all that information. Tim, over to you. Another Marian song then will be uh, this one by Joseph and Rosemary Black called Mary Mantleme. And um, yes, we will carry on with this fascinating discovery of all these biblical um, roots to what we believe of Mary.
Rosemary Black singing Mary Mantle Me. You're listening to Credo on Radio Maria. Derek Williams has been teaching us about Our Lady in a new series, the Catechesis of Our Lady or Catechesis on Our Lady. We just came up with that title during the music break, didn't we, Derek? Yes, we did. I had given it some thought beforehand, but yeah, we literally just came up on the title and it sounds like it might well work. Let's see if the listeners like that name or not. Yeah. Over to you again, Derek. 
Thank you very much. Now, I want to bring in here um, uh, an early church father, a friend of ours, St. Irenaeus of Lyon. Um, he lived, he was born between the year 140 and 160. So that is literally one generation after St. John the Apostle died, which would have been around 99 AD, 100 AD. Um, he was ordained a priest to the church in Lyon and became bishop. Uh, he's called the father of Catholic dogmatic theology. So first theologian in the proper sense of the word. And this is what he says about this narrative I'm, I'm working through. So don't forget, I'm working through both the fall and the, um, the angelic visitation, the annunciation. I'm working through them both. Right? And this is what he says. Eve was seduced by the word of the fallen angel and transgressed God's word so that she fled from him. In the same way, Mary was evangelized by the word of an angel and obeyed God's word so that she carried him within her. And while the former was seduced into disobeying God, the latter was persuaded to obey God, so that the Virgin Mary became the advocate of the Virgin Eve. And just as the human race was bound to death because of a virgin, so it was set free from death by a virgin, since the disobedience of one virgin was counterbalanced by a virgin's obedience. If then, the first man's sin was mended by the white conduct of the firstborn son of God, as the serpent's cunning was bested by the simplicity of the dove, in brackets Mary, and if the chain that held us bound to death have been broken, then the heretics are fools. <laughs> now, I was talking about heretics earlier, because I was talking about how easy we can be deceived. They are ignorant of God's economy, and they are unaware of his economy for the salvation of man. And one of the things I've found over the years of people, male and female, priest and laity, religious, etc., those who have a healthy and strong devotion to Mary tend to stick closer to the truth. And they tend to stick closer to the church. For example, at the moment, we have a, a confusion within the church. Um, and my thing would be, my thing is always, back in the early church in this country, um, a thousand years ago, we would stay close to the Eucharist, Mary, and St. Peter. And that's what I always say, stay close to Peter, stay close to the Pope. And I know that many Catholics around the world agree with me on this because I get loads of messages from people saying, yep, we need to hear that. Just stay close to the Holy Father, stay close to Mary, stay close to Jesus, and that will be your safety in any time of confusion. Now, going back to, um, I'm going back to the narrative while keeping half an ear out in case the studio tell me that the phone lines are flooding from all you eager listeners who want to speak to me. Um, 
He will be great. This is verse 32. This is the angel. Remember, this is the angel Gabriel talking to Mary. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So there's David again, the authority. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Jacob the patriarch. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's very important. The angel has spoken that. It's from God. <clears throat> the angel has spoken it. That's the that's fact. Of his kingdom there can be no end. <clears throat> uh, I was going to ping in something there. Um, on one of those sentences, he would be great, would be called Son of the Most High. Adam was also Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever of his kingdom. There was a thought that came to me as I was reading through, which often happens when I'm reading the word of God. Often I get a thought and I think, oh, I'll ping that one in. Um, the angel, Mary says to the angel, a good question, right? Now, this is what John Paul II picks up on this one. How can this be since I have no husband? So she's, she's asking a pertinent question. How is this going to come about? Uh, because she's not married yet, she's betrothed. So the angel then explains it to her. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, <clears throat> your kinswoman Elizabeth in old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. With God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary says, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So the fiat mihi, let it be to me, fiat mihi. And the angel departed from her. And the I've read this somewhere, but I can't remember where. But it says the angel departs from her. And the second person of the Trinity comes to her because she now conceives at that very moment when she gives her consent, um, she conceives the Son of God in her womb. And the second person of the Trinity takes flesh in her body. And um, what does Mary do? The first thing she does, so the angel introduces to Mary the Basically, they don't have text messaging, emailing, or phone calls, so the angel has to tell her, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, just so you know. Elizabeth is elderly. So as soon as Mary conceives a child, as soon as the angelic visitation is finished, Mary dashes up to the hill country. In contrast, in contrast, if I go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve have their dialogue with the serpent. Their eyes are opened. Um, they hear the sound of God in the garden. Now, remember the, an the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid. But in verse 10 of Genesis 3, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. The first fruit of sin to this day is fear. The man and his wife had hidden themselves from the presence of the Lord. Okay. And um, God has to engage in conversation with them. 
Verse 12 is a killer line in a sense. The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And then the Lord God has to speak to the woman and then the serpent. The consequence of this, now we'll look at something called the Proto-Evangelium, but not this week. The consequence of this is the Lord God sent them forth from the Garden of Eden. He drove out the man and the woman. So Mary dashes off up to the hill country to be with her cousin to help her. Adam and Eve are removed from the Garden of Eden because of their sin. So you can see how um, one narrative is fruitless, but the other narrative is fruitful. And when Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth, Elizabeth is filled with the very breath of life with which Adam and Eve were filled before the fall. So Adam and Eve are empty of grace. And Mary is full of it. And she goes to her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth and John the Baptist are both filled with life. So you can see how the whole, the two narratives, one is heading in one direction, downhill, and the other one is going in the other direction, uphill, and very beautifully. Now, before I really mo keep continue motoring, and I'll like to check with the studio in case there's another song due, or, yeah, should I keep going for another minute? Okay, keep going. So, um, the... After the fall, in, in chapter 3, verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve. So he has still got the naming rights. He still has the right to name. And we have to this day. We still name. Might sound a strange thing to say, but we take it for granted. And we never look at the things we take for granted. And he calls her Hava. Um, it's the, um, the Hebrew, it's from the Hebrew word for life. Um, You've, you've, you remember the Fiddler on the Roof, the great song in the tavern? Most of you probably do. Lachayim, to life. So Chayim, life. And Eve is derived from that word, Hava, um, life. But she's giving, she's giving physical life, but everyone who is born of Eve is born into death. They're born to die, okay? Mary, the new Eve, everyone born of Mary is born into everlasting life, okay? And this is Justin Martyr. And he he's the very first one. Justin Martyr is the very first father to talk about Eve and Mary. And he speaks, he was around... Um, born just after 100 AD, about 110, 120 AD, he lived. And this is what he has to write. Um, the Son of God became man through a virgin, so that the disobedience caused by the serpent might be destroyed in the same way it had begun. For Eve, who was virgin and undefiled, gave birth to disobedience and death after listening to the serpent's word. But the Virgin Mary conceived faith and joy. But when the angel Gabriel brought her the glad tidings that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, and that the power of the Most High would overshadow her, so that the Holy One, born of her, would be the Son of God, she answered, Let it be done to me according to your word. Thus was born of her the child, about whom so many scriptures speak, as we have shown, 
Through him, God crushed the serpent, along with those angels and men who become like the serpent. And later on, we have that beautiful phrase that's the, um, that Mary's obedience undid the knot of Eve's disobedience, which is something that our Holy Father sort of made clear to the church because he was a big devotee of Our Lady Undoer of Knots. And he actually was a big promoter of that when he first became Pope, if we can remember. I don't, I always remember the early days of his pontificate because there were very many beautiful things. Tim, you have something to chip in? Yeah, I agree. I, I really love that devotion and tire of knots. Um, and it's interesting that you you connected it with that phrase because I hadn't actually seen it. I just thought it was a, a devotion that had come out of popular piety. Um, but that's really lovely. Um, Derek, we're, we're just about at the, the end now, but I wanted to mm -hmm. ask you a question before we, before we close with a prayer. And that is, um, would you encourage people to look for these parallels themselves between um, Eve and Mary? Or do you think this is something that we need to be a little bit careful of and, and just go with the church? fathers where they draw the similarities oh it's good to it's good to look and um, it's good to do both you know okay. with this series i'm going to be going through a lot of the church fathers and what they have to say about eve and mary um but it's very healthy for people to actually look at parallels and there aren't just parallels with eve and mary there are parallels with sarah the wife of abraham with mm -hmm. esther with the book of Esther, it's incredible, the parallels there with Mary. Um, and with the Ark of the Covenant and Mary, so there are loads of parallels. Typology, it's a beautiful science. Right. Well, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, I, th I think this is a, uh, I mean, this is what we call typology, isn't it? That's right, where the Old Testament um, narratives or persons or places and things give us a type of things in the new a type of Jesus, a type of Mary, a type of the apostles, a type of us as well. Mm -hmm. Well, this is fascinating. I'm really glad that we started this new series, the Catechesis on Our Lady. I wonder, would you end with a prayer for us, please, Derek? Absolutely. Yes, of course. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we thank you, Father, for the Blessed Virgin Mary for her mission in the life of the church that you have given her to us as a new eve you've given her to us as a new mother and that she can bring us to the fullness of life and i just pray for the listeners i pray that mary isn't just a devotion but she is for us a real motherly relationship and our relationship with her our consecration to her can bring us great graces and mary is the saint maker so we ask you blessed mother to clean us to purify us to prepare us so that we can be the saints that God wants us to be, and God has sent you to us to help us to become the great saints of this age when the church needs and the world needs great saints. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.